Exodus chapter 33, we are beginning today what I expect will be about a nine-week study of God. Just God. God himself. There's more than one reason why I wanted to begin this way together in our new relationship as pastor and congregation. I'll just give you two reasons why I wanted to start here with a study of just God. The first reason is this. There's nothing easier to do in a church than to lose sight of God. Now that's ironic, isn't it? But there's nothing easier to do in church than to lose sight of God. It would seem that in a church, God would always be at the forefront of our minds, always the center of our attention. But we get so overrun with programs and people and meetings and initiatives and ideas and emails and studies that Maybe we never make time to think about God. All of the inertia is toward God being overrun and excluded from our thoughts because we have all this other stuff to do. And he can be crowded out. So one reason we're beginning here is to set God in his proper place at the beginning and in the center He is the proper focus of the people who belong to him. That's one reason. Because we don't want to lose sight of God in the midst of everything that we're doing. Okay? There's another reason, second reason. God is the most interesting and compelling, enthralling and satisfying subject that we could possibly take up. So we're not only beginning with the proper subject, we're beginning with the best subject, the, more, the most thrilling thing. We don't need any reason other than that, just to say that we're going to study God because we want to study God. Because we believe that he is the most interesting, compelling, enthralling, and satisfying subject we could possibly take. Now, I wouldn't expect in a gathering this large for everyone to feel that way. I wouldn't expect that everyone would be sitting on the edge of their seat thinking, oh good, we get to study God in church, okay? One very good question that we might ask right here at the outset is whether or not anyone is interested in knowing God anymore. I think there's really good evidence that a lot of people today are interested in critiquing God and debating about God and moving in a healthier direction and a more noble direction. I think there's also a lot of evidence that people today are very interested in serving God and singing to God. But is there anyone who's interested in knowing God? 
Does anyone out there want to know him? Now, I need to make an admission to you. I have not always been interested in knowing God. The desire to know God has waxed and waned throughout my life. I remember very early in the morning one day when I was in eighth or ninth grade thinking the thought, you know, I'm never going to be a pastor. I couldn't be a pastor. Because if I become a pastor, I have to think about God all the time. And I don't want to think about God all the time. So whatever I do, I know I'm not going to do that. And you may feel that way too. You may feel like God is the very last subject that you want to hear about. And I just say to you that I've been there. Some of you here have been through things so difficult in your life with God and have, it has left you with so many questions that for you, God is the very last subject that you want to hear about. It's too painful. It's too hard. And all I can say to you is that I haven't been there. Nevertheless, all are invited whether you're hurting or excited, whether you're bored or expectant, whether you're devoted or whether you're a wanderer, or just beginning today by talking about the desire to know God. Maybe it's present in you. Maybe it's not present in you. Maybe it's present, but it's very faint. Whatever the case is for you, I invite you to consider this morning your own desire to know God and to learn from this account in Exodus 33, where one man is simply trying to know God better. That's what's happening here. One man is simply trying to know God better. This one man is Moses. We're dropping in right in the middle of the action, right in the middle of the story. We'll pick up the context as we go, okay? We're going to begin in verse 17. Of chapter 33. So let's do this. In honor of God and his word, let's stand for the reading of the word if you're able. This is Exodus 33, beginning in verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please. Show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. 
Heavenly Father, on behalf of those gathered here, I, I pray that we could just somehow even make a, the smallest approach and the smallest progress in understanding and applying the things that we see here. We admit up front that so much of it is, is beyond us and beyond our experience and comprehension. But we, we believe, we take by faith that this has been written for our benefit and that we can benefit from it. So I pray that I would. I pray that these gathered here would benefit as well for Jesus' sake. We pray in his holy name. Amen. Please be seated. Our outline is very simple. If you um, have a bulletin, there should be an outline present there. It's a very simple outline. We're first going to look at Moses' request, and then we'll look at God's response. Okay? That's it. Moses' request, God's response. We see in verses 17 and 18 the great request. Let's notice three things regarding the request as we get started here. The first thing that we want to notice is the context of the request. We want to notice first the context of the request. Uh, The context is chaos. The context is chaos. We're in chapter 33 of Exodus. Chapter 32 is the golden calf. That's the golden calf account. You know, things had been going great for this new little nation of Israel. The exodus has happened out of slavery. God parted the Red Sea. They walked right through. The exodus has happened. They made it to the mountain. They received the law. That's chapter 20. They become God's people. They become a nation. Chapter 20. There had been the making of the covenant between God and his people. So the law had been read to them. They'd agreed to it. Yes, we will be your people. And there was the covenant ceremony where they were actually sprinkled with the blood of the sacrifice. And that's a good thing. And following that, then they get instructions on the articles that they're to build for uh, worship. Tabernacle, altar, all these things, that's good. Receiving instructions, things are being set up. The priests are told what they're supposed to do. All these things are happening in chapters 25 through 31. Things are going great. This new little nation is getting off the ground. All the pieces are being prepared for an orderly society, an orderly worship Everyone's doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. Moses has gone up once again to meet with God. That's a good thing. That's an important thing. But then while Moses is gone, the the people, including Aaron, Aaron the second in command, the people build a golden calf and proclaim before it, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. They build an idol, and then Aaron builds an altar in front of the idol so they can offer sacrifices to it. 
And they decided that they're going to have a feast day for their idol. And people are dancing and celebrating. And you know what happens. Moses comes down from the mountain and he sees it all. And he smashes the stone tablets of the commandments. And so the commandments are lying there on the ground like a little symbol of the the nation itself. Everything is just shattered at this point. Everything is in pieces. Moses is furious. The people are dancing. Aaron is lying about his role in the whole thing. So where does that leave this nation now? What about all these promises that they made? What about all these articles of worship they had prepared for God? Everything was orderly and moving forward and God was going to lead them into the land he'd promised to give them and the people had promised to just follow him and then this happens. And then the final blow comes at 33-3. God tells Moses he's not going up with them anymore. Exodus 33-3 Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you. God's not going. Aaron, who can trust him anymore? And where does that leave Moses? We're just noticing that it's in this context that the request is made. Utter chaos. Moses doesn't have a home. He doesn't have a food supply greater than a day. He's got the hardest job in the world and he's pretty much alone. He's in constant danger of rebellion and stoning from these people. The plan that was announced has all fallen apart. That's where things stand when he makes this great request at 33.18. And here's the comfort, Christian. Here is the, the comfort for us, noticing the context. Knowing God is not a matter of finally getting into the right circumstances. God can be known in the chaos. When you don't have quiet and when life is far from ideal. And when the days are long and when the pressures are mounting and when the plans are all falling apart and nothing is going right, when you're in the hospital or in prison or just in a difficult spot. God can be known in those places. There have been people both in the Christian tradition and outside of the Christian tradition for centuries that have advocated for pulling apart in order to know God, getting alone out in the wilderness in little cloisters as a means of knowing God or getting closer to God, as if to know God, you've got to get into the right circumstances in life and get the conditions just so 
but we see in the text exactly the opposite. We see the most chaotic scene possible. In the middle of it is this man asking to know God better. In those circumstances. And that can be you in your office or at home with all those little children all day. In your home office or in your dormitory, living in the chaos, I want you to know that does not prohibit you from knowing your God. You can whisper this request to God in the midst of whatever your chaos is and when the conditions are not ideal and the conditions are extreme. We just notice the context in which the request is made. Here's the second thing we take notice of. We notice the person making the request. We notice the context in which the request is made. Secondly, we notice the person who's making the request. What's significant about Moses making this request? Well, I think this. It's the person who already knows God the best, who is asking to know him better. It's the person who already knows God the best, who's asking to know him better. No one on earth has seen more of God and had more privilege with God than Moses has. Think about the burning bush. Think of what God spoke to him there. Think of Moses' privilege in going up on the mountain. And we read how God came down in a cloud and in the fire on the mountain. And Moses entered into the cloud. And we come to chapter 24 in Exodus and read that Moses, along with a few others, got to go up on the mountain and eat and drink in the presence of God. That's an amazing passage. Of all the people on earth at that time, Moses had enjoyed the most privilege with God. He's seen the most, and he is the one pressing in further. Pursuing God harder, desiring to see even more. And the reason that we're taking time to notice that is that I think many of us are in danger of doing the opposite. In, you know, in our spirits, some of us may be thinking or saying, oh, a study of God at church. Well, I've known that for years. I know about his attributes. I've read that book. I've done this study before. This series must be for someone else. Or we may do that with our Bibles. We may get to the point in life where maybe we're 25, maybe we're 31, maybe we're 52, we're 70, and we think, you know, I think I've seen everything there is to see in God. I know those stories. You know, if we hit that point when we're 21, 25 years old, you think I've, I know about this God of the Bible, and I think it's time to explore the rest of the world. By all means, explore the rest of the world. Read broadly, think deeply. But if you ever get to the point where you determine, I really know all there is to know about the God of the Bible, that's the surest sign that you really haven't known the God of the Bible. If we ever 
think we've gotten to the end of the knowledge of the person of God, that's the surest way to know that we really haven't known him at all. And what we see in front of us is that it's the person who knows him best that pushes in further. What does that tell us? It tells us that when we know him well, when we really, really know him, we're compelled on to know him even more. It's not an ignorant man who makes this request of God. It's not an untrained man who makes this request of God. It's a well-instructed, greatly privileged man who makes this request. Those who know him best will seek to know him more. That's the second thing that we notice. We notice the person making the request. It's the expert. It's this man, Moses. Finally, here's the third thing regarding the request. Still in, still in verses 17 and 18. We've talked about the context of the request. We've talked about the person making the request. We notice finally the nature of the request. The request itself is in verse 18. Moses said, here, here it is, the request itself. Moses said, please show me your glory. The word here uh, translated glory is the Hebrew word kavod. If we were spelling it in English, we'd probably go with C-A-V-O-D. D is in dog, kavod. It has a range of meaning. Probably the best translation is weight. W-E-I-G-H-T. A really good, really literal translation would be, please show me your weight. And we're not talking about physical weight here. Like we're using a scale. No, it's weightiness in terms of um, honor and riches. As in God is... Heavy in honor. That's the idea. When the, when the Greeks came along, 2nd century BC, when the Greeks came along and they were translating all the Hebrew scriptures into the Greek language, so they're taking the Hebrew scriptures, translating into Greek, when they came to this passage, they simply translated it. They translated this request, please show me Yourself. That was their translation. That's the Septuagint translation. Please show me yourself. Meaning, please show me, God, your whole self. The fullness of who you are. And I think that's helpful. And that gets to the heart of the request. He who has been so privileged to see so much of God is expressing this. God, show me more than I've seen. Show me more than I've seen so far. And that is a request that we can all make, isn't it? We can all make that request of God. Show me more than I've seen so far. Whether we've known God for two months 
whether we've known God through Christ for 50 years, we can all make the request, show me more than I've seen. About 12 years ago, I wrote a letter to a man named Haddon Robinson. If you don't know who that is, that's okay. Um, You probably know lots of his students. Haddon Robinson is really the man behind all of the, well, not all, most of who we would consider the most influential preachers in our lifetime. So if you've listened to um, Chuck Swindoll or Tony Evans, or if you listen to Chip Ingram on the radio, Michael Easley, Joseph Stowell, former president of Moody, now president of Cornerstone and Grand Rapids, if you, and, and many others. If you've listened to those, you have heard someone who was trained in how to be a preacher by Haddon Robinson long-time professor of preaching, Dallas Seminary. Pretty much every preacher that comes out of Dallas Seminary has been trained by Haddon Robinson, if not in person, then through his books that are still in use. And so me um, being younger at the time and realizing that I wouldn't get to take classes from him, just wrote to him and said, hey, Mr. Robinson, you don't know me. I, I live out in the middle of a cornfield in Iowa aspiring preacher here. Someone who wants to make an impact for Jesus in my generation. Someone who's just captured by the possibility of maybe God using me in some small way through the preaching of the word. You who have been the trainer of so many of the greats, just give me your best piece of counsel. On how to be an effective preacher for Jesus. And he wrote back. He wrote back and, um, you know, I'd asked him for his best piece of counsel and he didn't say, well, keep your sermons brief. You know, usually that is a good idea. And he didn't say, always have three points or do this with your hands or don't do that with your hands or do this with your voice or don't do that with your voice. He didn't say any of those technical things. In the the barely legible handwriting of an elderly saint, he scrawled three times on a little card the same phrase, three times, go hard after God. Go hard after God. Go hard after God. God. What's he saying? He's saying, keep petitioning God to show you more than you've already seen. That was Haddon Robinson's advice. That's not just good advice for preachers. That's good advice for any disciple of Jesus Christ. Whether we're... 12 or 14 or 85 or 92, we can all say, God, please show me more than I've seen. More of yourself. That's what Moses is asking for. That's the desire in his heart. Now we might wonder, um, 
and probably some here are asking this question. I think it's a good question. We might wonder, where does this desire come from in Moses? I'd like to have that desire, but you may be thinking, um, I'd like to have this desire, but I just don't. I understand what you're saying, preacher, about asking God for this and the desire to know God, but it's just not there in my heart. Where does that come from? What do I have to do? How do we move the needle from don't care about God to really care about God? Well, we are not given an explanation of where Moses' desire comes from. But there is one small clue, and it's in verse 17. Notice, looking back at your copy of the scriptures, notice that Moses' request to know God better follows immediately after God's statement to Moses about how well he knows him. And the Lord said to Moses, this is verse 17, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. And that's after hearing this from God. It's after hearing of God's intimate knowledge of him that Moses expresses his own desire for a more intimate knowledge of God. And if you're young and you're still living at home, teenager, high school, middle school, I think there's a good chance that at some point in in your life or or soon your thought may go through your head, you know, I really wish my parents knew me better. I really wish they understood me. I feel like nobody understands me. And that's a legitimate longing in the human heart to be known. You, You don't have to be a young person to have that feeling in your heart, that desire to have people really know you and really understand you. You may feel that way and be 60 or 70. You may be surrounded by people for all of your life and yet feel like there's nobody that really knows me and really understands me. We all long to be known and to be known and to know another, to be known and to know. That's called relationship. Knowing and being known. Moses hears at verse 17 that there is a God who knows him. Think about what that must have meant to Moses to hear that. Think about how his role in life seemed to be so functional so utilitarian. You know, we think about Moses and we just think about this huge job that he had. Serve this utilitarian purpose, get people from point X to point Y. He's got this huge job to do, but did anyone really know him? Did anyone understand him? Did anyone care about him as a a person? And it's God who speaks to him, I know you by name. 
to everyone else, he's just a, a leader that they're not sure they can trust. But to God, he is always Moses, my favored one, whom I created, who I know better than he even knows himself. What are we saying? We're saying this. Let the reality that God knows you and God understands you be the catalyst to move you and compel you to know him. To know better the one that knows you perfectly. Let that truth prompt this request of him. Please show me more. Let's be in even deeper relationship. Now, can we take time to notice two things about God's response? We've seen the request. We've been talking about the request, the context, the person making it, the nature of it. How's God going to handle the Request. What's he going to do? What will his response be? That's verses 19 through 23. Now, as you know, you saw when we read this, there's a lot here to observe. Most of these things are going to be things we're going to look at in greater detail later in our study. So we're going to leave most of it to the side today. Most of the details. We're going to look at it very big picture. God's response, big picture this morning and just see these two things. There are two dynamics present here in God's response. We're going to notice them pretty quickly, and then we're going to be done, okay? There are two observable dynamics. First of all, there is a completeness of divine revelation. That's the first dynamic that we can observe. There is a completeness of divine revelation. Here's what that means. When Moses asked God to see God's glory, God's response really is yes, okay. That's verse 19. I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name. God is going to reveal everything. Nothing is going to be held back. Notice all my goodness. We'll talk more about what that means and how God's goodness is displayed in all these individual attributes that we'll look at when we come to verse 6 of chapter 34. Right now we're just noticing that there will be a completeness of divine revelation indicated by this word, all. That's one dynamic that's present. A completeness of divine revelation. But the other thing that is present, the other dynamic that we see in the last part, verses 20 to 23, is a limitation of human ability. A limitation of human ability. There is, on the one hand, a completeness of divine revelation, but on the other hand, a limitation of human ability to take it all in. The fact that God shows everything doesn't mean that Moses can see 
everything. We learn in verse 20 that he can't. We read, but he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see my face and live. The reality that Moses didn't see everything of God's glory had nothing to do with any unwillingness on God's part to reveal it. It had everything to do with man's inability to take it all in. Moses could not behold it all. It isn't given to a person, a human, to behold all the glory of God, even though it's on full display. Those are the two dynamics that are present here in God's response. And this is what we want to understand and and take away with us. We want to understand and take away that the same two dynamics are present in our lives today. There is a completeness of divine revelation in Christ. God's glory is on full display in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the full self-disclosure of God so that we can say when we look at Jesus, we see the full glory of God. And I would support that statement with these two scripture references. There are others, but at least these two. Colossians 1.19, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. There is a completeness of divine revelation in Jesus Christ. That's one dynamic that's present in our lives as we seek to know God. We understand God really has fully revealed himself in Jesus. It's all there for us to look at. But we also confess that this other dynamic is present also. There is a limitation of human ability to take it all in. The longer you look at the cross of Jesus Christ, the longer you meditate on it and marvel at it and try to understand what took place there, the longer you do that, the more you realize, I have not grasped the thousandth part of what this means. It's so deep, it's so rich, it's so meaningful that I know I will never reach the end of it. I simply can't take it all in. The cross, the resurrection, the ascension, his teaching, his promises, his presence, even his supper. We only grasp the smallest part, even though it's all here for us to see and has been for all of our lives. And we've been looking at it forever. We've been looking at these things forever. It's all on display for us. And yet we can't take it all in. Now, we can either be discouraged by that or we can be excited by that. 
As for me, I'm excited. Because it means that there is undiscovered territory. There are new, always present, but new to me, excellencies in Jesus that I just haven't seen yet. And there are sufferings that he experienced that I have no fellowship with yet. And there are dimensions to his teaching that I do not understand yet. Even though I've been looking for so long, and the same is true for you. Both of these dynamics are present in our lives. There is a completeness of God's revelation, and there is simultaneously a limitation on our ability to take it in. Therefore, we can say both of these things and have them both be true. We can say both, I know God, and my aim is to know God. We can say both. And by the grace of God, we do say both. Both I know God, and it is my aim to know God. It's my present reality and my present goal. And it always will be as we discover through the endless ages what it's like to be in relationship with an eternal, infinite, and good God. And Lord willing, we'll take one more step in that direction together next Sunday. Let's pray. Father, (laughs) we would come boldly and just ask along the same lines as Moses, show us more than we've seen so far. We love you. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.